Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus. going to get into a series. I, I'm not going to be able to tell you how long this series is going to be, but it's been on my heart that I feel like we need to go back to the book of Acts and just study together what should be happening in the church. And here's why. Momentum is when a, a mass has movement, when a group of people or something has movement in one direction or the other. There's momentum either backwards or there's momentum forward. And we are in a bit of a season where we have a little bit of momentum in our church. And I want to keep that momentum going. And if we look in the New Testament church, we'll see that when the church started, there was momentum in the church. And the momentum wasn't caused only by, uh, obviously, God's presence and God's spirit. And God was there, and it was fantastic. And I loved every, you know, God was there ministering and moving. But God caused a momentum in the people, and they did some things in the church. There were things that they did. There was an environment. There was an atmosphere. There was a sense of what God was doing. And it caused a spiritual momentum in that picture in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4 is how every church on the planet should look. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at how should church look like? What, how do we keep this momentum going? How do we keep the momentum of God going? How do we see more miracles in the house of God? How do we see signs and wonders in the house of God? How do we see more salvations and more disciples? And how do we share all things in common where there was not a single need in the church? How do we see demons cast out and people being raised from the dead? My wife, I told you before, was reading the other day in the gospel. She goes, Ryan, why don't we see people raised from the dead and people healed? And I said, I don't know, but I want to see it and I'm going to preach on it. Because I believe in the house of God, we, we are a hospital. We believe that people come and we lay their hands on them and they'll recover. Come on, if it's in the scriptures, we believe it, amen? And so what we're going to do is we're going to go through a, a season where I'm going to, the, the momentum is a mass in motion, a, a group of people in motion. And I want to keep the motion going forward. And I want to I understand, God, what do we need to do to, to keep growing healthily and keep being healthy as a church as we come into this new season as we have an opportunity to be permanent for our season. And what I want to do is, so I want to help you understand that there's a danger, there's a problem with momentum as well. What happens is, is that momentum, you can actually lose momentum. What happens is, is momentum begins to slow, and then you come to a standstill, and you're not moving one direction or the next. And what happens is, mo when momentum stops, you are standing still. You're stuck. And this is what I feel uh, is one of my hearts behind this series. I believe there are many followers of Jesus and there are many churches that are not building on momentum. They're building on standing still. They're making normal life out of the, the, the non-momentum. They're making life for them, the normal life for them. They don't see miracles. Normal life for them and they don't experience God's presence. Normal life for them, they don't see salvation of the lost. Normal life for them, they don't make disciples. Normal life for them, they don't see the, the goodness of God and the land of the living. Normal life for them is religion and check in and check out of church. Normal life for them is just let's go and be benevolent and do our thing so that I can get to heaven and enjoy as much as I can in my life and just so I go to heaven and play that harp on that cloud. We have this standstill, this standing water, and I don't want to be a church that's standing water. 
I want to be a church that's moving forward. And even the other danger is, is that once you stand still, then you potentially begin to have momentum the other direction. And the challenge with momentum is that once you get momentum, it's hard to stop it. You get momentum forward, it's hard. The devil can't stop it. No one can stop it. Nothing can stop the momentum of God in the church. But it's also very hard to start momentum in the wrong direction. And you know how that is when you go from a passionate, life-giving relationship with God to a mundane relationship with God, and you start becoming religious. And I'm going to preach at you today. So I know it's our first Sunday in this new building, but I'm just going to preach what the Lord put on my heart, okay? You start going momentum in the wrong direction, and you realize it's very, very hard to stop the momentum of digressing in your relationship with God. And you find yourself in a place where you say, yeah, I believe in God, but you have no personal relationship with the Creator. You have no personal relationship with God and you've disengaged yourself from the house of God because you think, I don't need church. But in reality, when you were added to the church, you weren't just added to Christ. You were added to the church of Jesus Christ. So what I want to look at today is something, and I don't do this very often, so don't write me an email saying, Ryan, you didn't preach from Scripture today. (laughs) Normally, I base all of my messages out. I, I have a Scripture, and I pull the points from the Scripture. That's always what I do, but today you need to give me some freedom, some liberty, to take three statements that you're going to see around the church that the Lord has uh, given us. And uh, we're going to use these statements as a way to stimulate momentum in your life, to stimulate your focus on what matters most. And in this next season, I want to focus our church on what matters most as a church. And so today I want to give you three, three statements. And I want, I, want to, I want you to read it with me today. And it's on, you'll see it everywhere. If you can read this, it says this, life is short, eternity is real, and people matter most. I'm going to count to three and I want you to read it with me. One, two, three. Life is short, eternity is real, people matter most. Now, again, I don't normally do this, but I want to take these three ideas today. They're all biblical thoughts, and I want to show you today in Scripture for the next few minutes how this is going to be our focus as we develop and stimulate momentum. There's some momentum we're going to talk about in the next coming months. Momentum like being in fellowship. Momentum like studying the Word. Momentum like prayer. Momentum like like all sorts of things we're going to look at. How does it in my life and as a church, the things that that you do. But what I'm doing here is to try to stimulate a reminder to you about the reality of where we are in life and how important what we're doing here is. That we're not, that you did not, when you became a follower of Jesus Christ, you did not just get saved to be an individual. When you became a follower of Jesus Christ, the first thing that happened in Acts chapter 2, it says that the Lord added to their numbers those who were being saved. He added to the what? Church. It's easy to think the church is this religious steeple where we go to do our penance so that a priest can give us little tabs on our tongue and help us drink the wine and then go back and we're good. We can confess our sins. That's not what church is about. Church, the church of Jesus Christ is the body of Christ, is the bride of Christ. And Christ will return for that bride. And so what do we want to do? Get as many people a part of the church of Jesus Christ as possible. Why? Because there are people who will spend an eternity apart from God. And I want you to look at these three things here today. The first one is this. As you know, life is short. Life is short. I was reading a a, a biography. I've been reading biographies. One of them was on Oswald Chambers. 
And I stopped reading it after the second chapter because he died at 41. And it just stirred me. I thought, man, I'm 40. I started, I was like, I got He gave everything at 41. No way. <laughs> Life is short. Now, I know you came to church today thinking, man, but I'm just going to lay it out for you today. Why? Because I want to stimulate momentum in your heart for God. Life is short. It's, it's short. It's, it's, it's not long. It's a short period of time. And you and I do not have time to waste. James 4.14 says this. It's not on the back screen. I don't know if you can help me with that, but I'm going to step aside to our new TV. Here we go. Instead of the one I pull up. How do you know what's going to happen tomorrow? For the length of your lives is as uncertain as the morning fog. Now you see it. Soon it is gone. Psalms 39. My life is no longer, no longer than my hand. Everyone put your hand in front of you. My whole lifetime is but a moment to you, proud man, frail as a breath, a shadow, and all his busy rushing ends in nothing. He heaps up riches for someone else to spend. Psalms 144.4, for man is but a breath, his days are like a passing shadow. I want you to understand something today that this reality should drive you. The reality that life is short should drive you to be reminded that we do not have time to waste. Now, what I'm not encouraging you to do is to kill yourself working and to live in fear and to, you know, live for yourself. I'm not suggesting that. But what I am suggesting is this. You did not get added to Jesus Christ to do this by yourself and live for yourself. When you became a follower of Jesus Christ, you were added to the church of Jesus Christ to make a difference for Christ in the kingdom of God, to reach as many people as you can for God's kingdom. And you and I have been added to the house of God for that very purpose. Life is short. But the width of your hand. What are you going to do with this life that God has given you? What are you going to do with the life that God has given you? What Jane, the danger to, in this thought is that we tend to forget that our days are numbered and we begin to think that it's just about going along with the machine and we go to work and we come home and we have our meal and we say a prayer and we watch the next episode of the Netflix series and we go to bed and we wake up and we rinse and repeat and we do that and we say, God's good. I got a good house. I got a good life. Things are awesome. And God says, yes, but your life is short. Are you making a difference for the kingdom of God? Well, I go to work and I eat my food and I do my thing and I have my yearly vacation and I save my, my RSP and life is, this is my life. No, no, no. Life is short. Make a difference with the life that God has given you. That's why God saved you to, to reconcile others to Christ. That's why Christ saved you. So you could, be a, you could be a conduit for the miracles and the transformation of God. That's why God saved you. Not just so that you could enjoy and bask in the grace and the mercy of God. So that you could make a difference in people's lives and share the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. Life is short. Don't waste it. Don't waste it. Don't wait until tomorrow. Don't wait. Oh, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll join that group tomorrow. I'll, I'll be in that ministry tomorrow. I'll preach that gospel to that person tomorrow. Don't think in a light of tomorrow. Today has enough trouble of its own. 
And I know I'm going after you today, but I just felt stirred in my heart. I need to stir momentum in you, spiritual momentum to know that we are here for a purpose. We're not just here for this stinking building. It's beautiful and all. Thank you, Jesus. But this is just a building. This is drywall, lights, and paint. We are here for people. Life is short. What are you going to do with it? Life is short. You're going to waste it on your money. You're going to waste it on your future. You're going to waste it. You're going to waste it. What are you going to do with it? Come on, life is short. The length of your hand. God's choosing you today to use your giftings in the house of God. He's choosing you to make a difference in the kingdom of God. Amen. Okay. You thought that was bad. Hello. Eternity is real. <laughs> Hi, Pastor James. You don't like my mic? Oh. Check. Oh, okay. Here we go. Just make sure our live stream can hear us, brother. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Pastor James. They needed a little break for this one. Okay, there's a heaven and there's a hell. There's a heaven, there's a hell, and we have completely misconstrued the perspective of eternity. Now, I'm not going to go into this today. I'm actually going to redo a series I did in 2018 called Heaven and Hell. I'm going to reteach on Heaven and Hell because the audio was terrible, so you can't go back and listen to it anyway, so you don't even know what I preached. Hallelujah. Heaven and hell, heaven, we've misconstrued the perspective of heaven. I start talking about hell and everyone gets up and leaves. <laughs> wow, Amanda, don't you need to know this? Or... <laughs> See, the, the, the challenge with an intimate room is I can just call you out. <laughs> One of my elders jumped up and walked out too. <laughs> Jesus, help Ryan. <laughs> See, many of us think that heaven is just a bunch of angels sitting on harps or they're sitting on harps playing clouds that's my version <laughs> sitting on clouds playing harps you know we, we think that it's going to be a love city church worship service seven days a week 365 days a year and i love you guys but that sounds terrible i mean i love you i mean even if it was hillsong or bethel or some of these other guys you know i mean i love our church's worship but 365 days a year seven days a week come on somebody could i just get a witness somewhere Some of us think that it's just like, you know, you die, and then it's just like, you know, all right, this is heaven, and yay, this is fun, you know, and but we, don't want to, we need to realize something about heaven, that, that, that heaven is, a, is actually has, a, on earth, we see fragments of heaven. Have you ever walked outside? I did this yesterday when the sun was out, because I was down here all day, and I walked out, and the sun hit my face, and it was just like, oh, I ever felt that? That's just a little taste of heaven. Or like when you get to your favorite restaurant, I love, um, I love uh, Kinjo, and I get that, uh, the ramen, uh, spicy miso ramen bowl, and I get that into my mouth and just start to eat it, and I go, ah, so good. I love it. That's a little taste of heaven. Or when you're, you know, on a vacation with your family and you're sitting around a table and you're sharing a good glass of wine, maybe some of you, I don't drink, but maybe you do, and you're having a good, you know, bottle of wine and bottle for Yunstein. There you go. Yeah, just kidding. <laughs> he has friends. Don't worry. They're sharing. <laughs> and they, that's just a little bit of taste of heaven. The buildings and all that you see around here, you think that that's just like, no, everything we see, all the things you see, that is the closest you'll be to heaven on earth. But have you ever been in a, in a, in a traffic jam 
and someone's cut you off and all you want to do is give them the bird, that's the closest you're going to get to hell. See, what you have to understand something is that heaven is not just this, and I won't go into it much longer, and I'll come back to it later, but heaven is, is the, the little moments of joy you have that are like, man, if I could go back to that one moment, that is just a, just a minute sliver of what eternity will feel like, of people and friends and eating and drinking and relationships and jobs and responsibility and satisfaction. What you experience here today on your happiest of days is just the slightest moment, but without sin and without guile and simply experiencing the manifest presence of God at all times. It's a beautiful reality. Heaven is absolutely real, but so is hell. Now hell is, you know that the Satan and his demons are not in hell tormenting you? You know where we get that picture from? Dante? Dante drew a picture of the levels of heaven, and so now it became a, a, a cultural norm for people to think that Satan and his demons are poking you with three, you know, little forks and, you know, putting spiders in your face and ha, ha, ha. Do you know that Satan has no authority in heaven? He's in, he's in, or in hell, rather. He's in hell. He's being tormented. He's being destroyed. But hell is a life void of God. You so badly want to be in connection with people, but when you get near people, you hate people. And all you want to do is be alone, but you hate yourself. And every time you get around yourself, you think of the sin you've caused and the things you've done wrong and the, the, the mistakes you've made and the bitterness that you have and the person that hurts you. And as badly as you want to forgive them, there'll never be a reality for you to be able to forgive that person that hurt you so badly. You walk around isolated and alone when you hate yourself and all you want to do is be around people, but you hate those people as well. And so you're completely isolated, deprived of God completely. I've had moments in my life where I've had some dark, dark, dark moments. And I know I've talked about this a little bit, mental moments where I've just been in the darkest pit. That wasn't even a taste of what hell. That was the closest I've ever been to hell. Heaven and hell are real. We are not here just to play church. We are not here just to keep everyone happy. We are not here just to do the programs. We're not here just to do good things. We are here to take people from the pit of an existence without God. Hell is real. It's a life without God. And did you know that one of the greatest strategies of the devil is to whisper misconceptions about eternity to you and to me. In fact, we see this in Revelations. Look what it says. And he, speaking of the serpent, the devil, spoke terrible words of blasphemy against God, slandering his name and his dwelling. See, the devil wants to speak things about heaven and his dwelling because he doesn't want you to have the confidence to share with other people about the realities of the afterlife. Satan doesn't need to convince us that heaven and hell don't exist. He just needs to convince us that it's not, that it's just clouds and harps and hell doesn't sound like that bad of a place. I get to party with my friends. I read someone say that, you know, talking about hell, they're like, well, good, because I'm going to party with my friends. 
Well, that's a bit ignorant. As Christians, if we have that mindset where heaven and hell and eternity and the afterlife are not a part of our regular understanding and are not important to us, then we as Christians will live everything for this life. We're not thinking about tomorrow or the afterlife. We're not thinking about heaven or eternity. Literally, all we're thinking about is today. Temporal, but a moment. We give ourselves to money and to houses and to cars and to people and to things, which I, I have. But we give ourselves so much to them and we forget the, re- the kingdom reality that you and I are called to build the church of Jesus Christ to reach as many people as we can to snatch them from the gates of hell. But you and I don't think about it because we don't want to think about it because we don't understand it. And so we just don't talk about it. And when someone says, hey, do you know Jesus? We say, well, why would I want to know Jesus? Well, I don't know. You want to give a good life, don't you? You want to be blessed, right? Well, yeah. Well, what about heaven and hell? What about the life after death? And what happens is, is that when you and I have a misunderstanding about heaven and hell, it leaves us asking existential questions like, what is life all about? What's my purpose? Why am I here? See, as followers of Jesus, we don't have to ask those questions. As followers of Jesus, we know the purpose of life. As followers of Jesus, we shouldn't have to ask these deep existential questions of what is the point of life and what is my calling and why am I here? It's to help people know Jesus. We wake up, go to work, keep the company running, we keep the business running, we keep the money coming, we keep doing our thing, we keep life moving forward and we're doing it for this machine called society and called earth like running on a treadmill. When is this going to (laughs) end? What happens is actually is that this, and I know I'm speaking to some men here today specifically. What happens is men and women, when you and I are not remembering that eternity is real and life is short, we are left frustrated with life. Frustrated that every time I go to work, and I make money and I do a good job, I come home, I just don't feel satisfied. I buy that car, I get that house, I do that thing, I just don't feel satisfied. I have the kid, I get the dog, I go on the vacation, I just don't feel satisfied. No matter what I do, I just don't feel satisfied. It's because this life is simply a taste of what's to come. You have to understand that eternity, this, he is also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. God has placed this eternity deep within our heart. It's like looking at a fish in an aquarium. You say, well, look at that beautiful fish, but we all know that that fish doesn't belong in that aquarium. It belongs in the ocean. And that fish goes to the edge of that window and slaps its head against the window, and it's frustrated because it knows there's more out there. And there's got to be more than this. The answer is yes, and it's called heaven. And he's written it on your heart. And that's why you can't find satisfaction from your children. You can't find satisfaction from your marriage. And you can't find complete satisfaction from the church or from the ministry or from the pastor or from the friend or from the relationship. You say, well, I'm going to try something else. I'm going to go do something else. I'm going to try more drugs or try more sex or just try disengagement or lean in more, work harder, do whatever I can. The reason you feel that way is because there is a frustration that we were subjected to until Christ returns and takes us home. That frustration is our longing for heaven. 
And see, this frustration shouldn't drive us to discouragement or sadness. This frustration should drive us closer to Jesus because Jesus is the closest we will ever get to tasting heaven. I worship in here with my hands lifted high like a crazy man. Why? Because I know, first of all, everything I do is found in Scripture in the book of Psalms, and I can show you. But when I kneel and when I lay my hands and I sing out loud, it's because I just want to taste a bit of heaven. I just want to taste a bit of Jesus because I know that nothing else in my life, you won't, my wife won't, my kids won't, this church won't, will ever completely satisfy me but the presence of my God. And it's just temporary. How many of you know when you leave the presence of God, you say, man, I, I, I had a great time on Sunday, but now it's Monday and I don't feel it. Why? Because it's just temporary. Look what it says in the scripture, 2 Corinthians. He's put his brand upon us his mark of ownership, and given us his Holy Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee that we belong to him, look at this, as the first installment of all that he's going to give us. So yes, there's a completion, and yes, in Christ there's satisfaction, and yes, in his word I can be, my needs can be met, but remember how Jesus, the, the, the people of Israel were supposed to have manna daily? Because the manna went bad. And in the same way, you and I can't find satisfaction outside of a personal relationship with Christ. That's why we try to go to church and we try to do good. But if we're still caught up with unforgiveness and bitterness and anger and areas of sin in our life, we're going to miss out on what God has for us. And we're going to live frustrated and discouraged and upset. I want to tell you today that this idea that eternity is real should drive you every day. And at the end of life, it has two, two trajectories. You know, the eternal life will have eternal death. And every time a person dies, they will go to one of those destinies. And the little decisions that we make in life every day are getting us closer to the life that God wants us to live. And so every single day we make to do that thing or to be in that relationship or to make that decision, every single decision we make matters. Every single relationship we have matters. You think, well, this doesn't matter. This relationship doesn't matter. What I say here doesn't matter. What I do, it does matter. It matters. It matters to God. And it matters to his kingdom. And it matters for your life on this earth. And it will make a difference for the life that you're living. That when you say, I'm going to serve, or I'm going to give, or I'm going to lay my life down, or I'm going to stop doing that thing and start doing this thing. It matters in the scope of life. It matters for eternity. Look what Jesus said here in Mark chapter 8 calling to the crowd to join his disciples. He said, anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Follow me and I'll show you how. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way, my way to saving yourself, your true self. But God what, what good would it do to get everything you want and lose you, the real you? What could you ever trade your soul for? We have to remember that eternity is absolutely real. And today, if you're here watching online, you're in the room, you say, how do I know that I'm going to heaven? How do I know that I'm a Christian? How do I know that I am going to heaven? How do I know that that's the reality for me? The Bible very clearly says right here, for God says at just the right time, I heard you. And on the day of salvation, I helped you indeed. The right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. Here's the last one here. People 
matter most? Now, some of you, I can hear you saying, oh, no, Jesus matters most. Yes, he does. Jesus matters most. And yes, we're here to make disciples and help you grow in your walk with God and help you grow closer to him and see life change. Yes, we're here for Christians. Yes, we're here to reach uh, people who, who are maybe uh, followers of Jesus that need a healthy church. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, it's about Jesus. But don't forget that Jesus also said that the second is equally as important. To love your neighbor as yourself. No other great commandment is greater than this. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And don't forget, the next one I'm about to say, tell you is just as important. People matter most. People matter. And yes, you and I were put here to serve Christ, but we were here to put here to serve Christ by serving and helping people. You and I here today, if you're a Christian, you're not lost any longer. You're saved, amen? You've been transformed. I've been healed of addiction. I've been healed of mental illness in my life. And I've been healed of attitudes and a terrible tongue and uh, bad thinking and deep unforgiveness, terrible bitterness towards the church and towards Christians. I hated you. (laughs) Not recently. (laughs) Just the idea of you. I've been healed from, from, from sexual sin in my life and alcoholic sin in my life. And I've been healed of, of religiosity. I say that today. I confess it publicly. Why? Because I'm a free man and I've been redeemed and set free by the power of Jesus Christ. But I've already been set free. I've already been redeemed. I don't need to come to church to be redeemed again. I don't need to come here every Sunday and say, okay, Ryan, get me redeemed again. I'm already redeemed. That means that there are people who aren't. And that is literally the only reason that Jesus came to the earth. He says, I did not come for the healthy. I did not come for people who, I I came for those who are sick and need a doctor. I did not come for those who think they are righteous or think that they've done good. I have come for those who recognize they are sinners and repent and turn to me. That's why we exist. We're here to help people know Jesus Christ. Look what it says. I just quoted it, but let me read it to you. But the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? Now, he's, ta- he's talking about my neighbor, Dan, because he's not a Christian. He's talking about my neighbor, Andre. He's talking about the, the fella at Fratello Analog in South Center Mall that I've been sharing Jesus with for four years. He's calling those people scum. And Jesus retorted back to him, to this person who was a religious leader, a leader in his church, an elder in his church, in a ministry at the church and he walked up to him and Jesus said this healthy people don't need a doctor sick people do I've come to call not those who think they are righteous but those who know they are sinners and need to repent and then just a few chapters later Jesus someone asked him a question in the same situation the Pharisees came to him and said why are you hanging out with such terrible people and Jesus said wouldn't a good shepherd if one sheep went away Wouldn't the good shepherd go after him? Look what he says. He says, won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when when he has found it, look at that. When he has found it, 
when he has found it. Meaning this, they will be found. The question isn't about whether or not God's going to find your family member or your neighbor. The question is, will they respond when they're found? He will joyfully look at this, carry it home on his shoulders. Here's a, a mindset about God that when God finds you, he finds you and he shames you or he guilts you or condemns you. No, he actually picks you up and puts you on his shoulders. Why? Because you're broken. You got a broken leg, you got a broken arm, and he picks you up. He puts you on his shoulders just like that cross that he carried to Golgotha. It says in the scripture, look what he says. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And when he found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. And when he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. Look at this. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. You and I are already saved. You think that when we do good things, God's like, yes! All of the angels celebrate when, when we reach lost people. People like Maddie, back of the room here, came to Jesus, got water baptized a couple weeks ago. Come on, people like Amanda, who sat in the front row, didn't know anything about God at that moment. Begin during worship, begin to cry. And I said, anybody want to give their life to Christ? And Amanda went, Talk about all the different stories of when God found you, experienced him. Right now, angels in heaven are rejoicing, not over when we come to church, not over when you say a good prayer, when you listen attentively. God loves that. He's pleased with it. But you want to know when the angels rejoice is when one person, one person rounds that third base and comes home. Look at this meme here, or this picture. I collect images of walk-off home run hitters rounding third because these are an image of heaven. That's what I believe for this year. We've been building our church to try to get our foundation and get, our, get, our, get ourselves focused and founded. And we're going to go through all the different things. But I want to remind you that we are not here for ourselves. We've already been saved. I've already been transformed. I already know God. And I want to know him better. And that's why we're here. But our primary focus is to help more people come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ so that we can stand at the home plate and say, come on home. Come back to Jesus. That's what I want these to be, people to walk in the room and they feel the very presence of God and they don't know what it is and they're convicted and they give their life to Jesus Christ. Or maybe it's at your work or maybe it's at your group or maybe it's at your, 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 uh, your kids' play group or your school, whatever it might be, to believe that this year we're going to see more people come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Listen, the saving's up to Jesus. We just have to be aware that life is short, eternity is real, and people matter most. You stay on your feet. Let's pray. I think a worship team is going to come up here. Oh, there they are. Just close your eyes for a minute. Father, we just want to say, Lord, thank you for saving us. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for redeeming us. Thank you for transforming us. Thank you, God, that we were made new. We pray right now, Holy Spirit, as we end our time today, as we sing this song, celebrating the goodness of God, that we would be reminded, Lord, that 
life is like the width of our hand, that, that Father, heaven and hell are very real, and that God, your people, the people that you've called to you, God, the people of the world, they matter to you. Lord, let, let them matter to us too. And I just pray for every person in the room today, God, who struggles with fear. Maybe they're here today and they haven't, haven't been serving you or they're watching online and haven't been serving you. We pray, God, today that they would make a fresh commitment to say, I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to go all in for God. I'm going to give my entire life to him today and serve him with all of our heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on. Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus.